may I now invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, the same portion we read, but this time verse 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. The cross, a glorious triumph over power and authorities. The cross, a glorious triumph over powers and authorities. Let's read together God's word from Colossians and chapter 2 and reading verse 13 to 15. Let's begin from verse 12 for purposes of the context. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, apologize, chapter 2, Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, I was in Philippians chapter 2. Colossians and chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcised of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The Apostle Paul in Colossians is addressing a number of errors that had crept in the life of the church some of it was legalism, some of it was asceticism, some of it was mysticism, this religious mysticalness that people had begun to measure in presenting Christianity in a mystical form. But they were also presenting Christianity by calling people to worshiping of angels. They were enslaving people to a form of religion. The Apostle Paul, in writing to them, would like to remind them that the death of Christ and who he is, as it begins in chapter 1, telling us the supremacy of the Savior. He is now in chapter 2, and particularly verses 13 to 15, showing us that the death of Christ has liberated us because he's disarmed, he's overcome authorities, the powers that enslaved us. Having given us a picture of baptism as being buried with Christ, in verse 12 he tells us the following, having been buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How has he forgiven us? What has brought this liberty by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands? This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed those who enslaved us, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The cross, a glorious triumph over powers and authorities. In reflecting on these verses, several observations or lessons as we dwell on the cross and how that it's a glorious victory over powers and authorities. Firstly, that as we read Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 1, you notice that the Apostle Paul is calling us to focus on the real deal, not on legalism, not on asceticism, not on mysticism, not on the worship of angels, not the keeping of moons and sabbaths, but on the real deal, and that is Christ. And as you read chapter 1, you notice that's what he's calling us to in showing us that Christ stands out above everything. In verse 15 of chapter 1, we read, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, do not look to the authorities which other men are calling you to look to. Do not look to dominions, to thrones, to invisible and visible things, but look to Christ, the one who has disarmed them. And as we focus on the cross, we focus on the cross because of the one who is hanged on it. We look to the cross because of the one who was crucified on it. And the apostle Paul would like us to know he is the real deal and he is the one who overcame. He disarmed, not the Sabbaths, not the authorities, not the dominions, not the rulers, not the devil and all his minions, but Christ overcame. How did he do that? This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We look to the cross because on it we have the real deal, Christ. Everything else are imitations. Everything else are fake. Everything else are not the real person Savior, Redeemer, and Liberator, everything else, if I may put it this way, is enslaving. 
if we revert to worshiping authorities, if we revert to worshiping rulers, if we go back to ancestral worship, if we go back to legalism, if we go back to mysticism, we are going back to slavery. We are leaving the freedom that the cross brought about and uh, returning to slavery. With much respect, may I say, only insane people do things like that. People in their right minds do not go back to slavery. Every right-thinking man and woman, boy and girl, are looking to be liberated and remain liberated. The situation in which we are, our government has not asked that the nation be on total lockdown, but we are asked, we are encouraged to remain at home within the confines of our yards, within our sitting rooms and our bedrooms, but everyone cannot wait to be told, you are now free to go to ShopRite and there will be no distancing rules. You are now free to throw away your masks. You are now free to touch your nose. It's enslaving to practice these things. We are enslaved because of our health. But even in that practice of a good thing to be liberated from, oh, there is a glorious freedom that the real deal who is Christ has brought through the cross, liberty from all forms of tyranny from sin and the devil. And the only one who is able to do that is the one who was crucified. The real deal is Christ. The Apostle Paul tells us elsewhere, we've resolved. Preach nothing else, no one else, but Christ and him crucified. So as we focus on Colossians 2, really from 13 to 23 as we read, but in this context, verse 15, the real deal is Christ. So here is the question for the children that I expect a response to. Who is the real deal? Who is the real deal? Is it your father? Is it your mother? Is it your teacher or your friend? The real deal the Apostle Paul is calling us to, is asking you to look to and trust for your life. If you trust anyone else, you will be in bondage. The real deal is Christ who overcame. The real deal is Christ who overcame. But as we continue to reflect on these verses, reflecting on the cross, a glorious triumph over powers and authorities, second lesson observation we see in the passage as we reflect on the cross is simply this. The cross is a symbol of the completeness of Christ's work. The cross is a symbol of the completeness of Christ's work. The completeness of Christ's victory 
over the principalities or rulers and authorities or powers. When we look to the cross, if you are in a war and the language that is used here as you notice is military language, that the flag that the battle is done has been lifted because the atomic bomb has been dropped and the enemy has surrendered. Somebody has gone on the mountain, on the tall building, and as it were, if it's a boxing match, a tower has been thrown in, the fight is over, there is somebody who is victorious. He's on somebody's shoulders, lifting their hands up in the air because he has won. The cross is a symbol of the completeness of Christ's work, the completeness of Christ's victory over the principalities or rulers and authorities or powers. The completeness of this victory is seen from the language used in our verses. All the, the words used, the language used is that of soldiers. It's military language. Verse 15. He disarmed. He disarmed them. He defeated them. In the NIV, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. Now, to disarm is to take away the arms, the weapons that somebody has. It's to strip them off their weaponry. It's to render them without any weapon with which to fight. And it is basically underlining they have been rendered completely unable to fight, but defeated and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Now what would happen particularly in the armies of that time is that when the opponents are defeated, they were made to march, to walk through a city in a match of shame. They were exposed. And that's what we have here, that this victory is not private. This victory is public. The enemy is absolutely embarrassed. He made a public spectacle over them. The language used is military language. We're not finished with military language. Triumphing over basically indicating he's victorious over them by triumphing over them in Christ. So the language used underlines that the victory is decisive, the victory is done. It's a concluded matter. And because it's a concluded matter, the Apostle Paul in Romans is able to say, because this is a done deal, we in our standing are more than victorious. Verse 16. 
we more than conquerors because the victory is won. The terms used in this verse are all military disarmed. Somebody commenting on these verses writes the following. He expressly adds this with the view of showing that the victory of Christ, which has poured for himself and us over Satan, is disfigured by the false apostles, and that we are deprived of the fruit of it when they restore the ancient ceremonies. For if our liberty is the spoil which Christ has rescued us from the devil, what do others who would bring us back into bondage but restore to Satan the spoils of which he had been stripped bare? Let's put this forcefully. Anyone that's calling you to anyone who is not Christ is returning you to that which Christ liberates. Now, whether the person they retain you is some high-standing individual or is a system or is some religious system, a return to this is a return, a restoring to Satan the spores of which he had been stripped bare. He is made a public spectacle of and is being defeated. Notice also the decisiveness and completeness of this victory is in the sense that Christ has completely overpowered the rulers and authorities by his death. Verse 14. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this is set aside, nailing it to the cross. The implication of this victory is that everything is in subjection to him, and we have nothing to fear, nothing to be afraid of, nothing. You notice that the biblical authors are very consistent that this language of not being afraid is ever on the pages of Scripture. When the Savior is returning, he texts, tells them, do not be troubled, don't be afraid. I am in control. All I've done is to go and simply make preparations. It's a done deal, but you're not orphans. We are told in the scriptures further regarding these issues of not being afraid. Why are we more than conquerors? What can separate us? What should we be afraid of to interfere in our relationship with Christ? And as you read Romans, he gives us the extreme positions. None of those must make us afraid. No authorities or rulers. If Christ has set us free, John will tell us we are free indeed. That's the implication. Sometimes as Christians, we are so afraid of things we don't know. We are so afraid of authorities, and I don't mean political authorities, but powers in the heavenly realms we read in Ephesians, that we have an armor with which we can overcome, but we're so afraid. 
that almost everywhere we are, we are preoccupied with binding and loosening and tying and flashing. We're seeing everyone tormenting, and if we don't do certain things, we're doomed. Now look at the text. Unless the passage is a lie, be afraid. Here's what Paul tells us. He disarmed the rulers. The Apostle Peter would put it this way, that there is a sense in which the devil is chained. He's given only a certain area of movement. He's a lion on the chain. He is powerful, but he cannot destroy you. Why? He's disarmed. The scriptures depict him as a rolling lion. But simply one that is taking on some form, pretending to be a lion that was looking for somebody to devour. But there is a real lion, the lion of Judah, and his name is Christ. He is disarmed, the rulers and authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Christ has overcome. We need not be afraid. And I'm not saying go about being careless and daring the devil, exposing yourself to witchcraft and all kinds of magic and mysticism and uh, supernatural thoughts. But if in God's working in your life, you're exposed to these things, please do know. He's disarmed. The rulers, authorities, and he's put them to shame. He's triumphed over them. And this he has done by nailing this to the cross. Dying for us, he has liberated us. The cross, beloved, is a symbol of the completeness of Christ's work. And regarding salvation, all that needed, all that needs to be done regarding your salvation has been done. We do not need additions. We do not need supplements. We do not need secondary qualifiers. All that is required for your salvation, past, present, tomorrow, Christ. Christ and remember on the cross one of his statements was simply this it is finished it is done but we learn thirdly that the cross is a symbol of the humiliation of the enemies of Christ the disgracefully defeated principalities and authorities or rulers and authorities or powers who is it that was defeated by Christ the cross it does not only communicate to us the complete, total, decisive victory of Christ, but it communicates to us that the enemy is a humiliated foe. The enemy is a, is a disgraced individual. The enemy has been put to public shame. 
principalities and powers are the spiritual, supernatural, formidable enemies that had held man in subjection and prevented his serving God. The enemies were formidable. They are referred to as rulers or principalities and authorities or powers. They are not weaklings. But the truth is, they are a humiliated bunch. Satan and his legions invaded the earth and put its inhabitants into captivity and subjected them to their evil reign. But Christ, when he died on the cross, humiliated them. Humiliated them. Christ, by his death, subdued the invaders and recaptured those whom they had subdued. We are slaves. We were under the dominion of sin. But Christ died that would be set free. The cross is a symbol of the humiliation of the enemies of Christ. The enemy in our time may appear like he's winning, we might even sometimes, because of his or her lifestyle, those that are committed themselves to worshiping him, they may look like they're even more favored than we are. Please do remember, they are a humiliated group. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Fourthly, the cross is a symbol of the grandness, the magnificence, the beauty and glorious nature of Christ's victory. It, was, it is not only complete. It's not only decisive. It does not only humiliate the enemy, but it's absolutely glorious and outstandingly magnificent. The cross is a symbol of the grandness and the glorious nature of Christ's victory. You can win a fight, but shamefully. You can win a fight, but still be embarrassed. You can win a battle, you can win an argument, but still go home with your head bowed down, because it's shameful. You can win. Think if I remember a story, you can win a boxing match, and two days later, die from the fight. The cross is a symbol of the grandness. Grandness in terms of its extensiveness, the magnitude, the scope of this victory. This is not a victory in Indola. This is not a victory only in Lusaka. This is a victory at the universal level. The whole universe has acknowledged the Savior has won. 
go back to chapter 1. Notice how Christ is described there so that when we read of his victory, it's in that context of his winning this battle. Verse 15, chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And is the head of the body, the church. And this one who is above everything, and the everything and anything that rebelled, that put up a fight, including the devil himself. When we read in chapter 2, verse 15, he disarmed, it includes all of them. Authorities, principalities, powers, whatever the categories are. The victory, the cross, is a symbol of victory to that extent. The picture we have here is that a conqueror returning from a victory displays in a triumphal procession the kings and princes whom he has taken and the spoils of victory. You read Isaiah 60 verse 11, that's what you come across. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 9 tells us the same story. The enemies were made a public spectacle. It was in the face of the whole universe, a grand victory, a glorious triumph over all the powers of hell. It does not refer to any public procession or display on the earth, but to the grand victory as achieved in view of the universe by which Christ has conqueror as a conqueror dragged Satan and his legends in his triumphal car. He has defeated the enemy at a grand, glorious scale. There is no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated than way by which Christ has triumphed writes Calvin. What does this imply for Christians? The implication is that since Christ has achieved for us such a victory and has subdued all the enemies of man, we should not be led captive, but should regard ourselves free men and women. We need not be under the slavery of anyone and anything except a glorious slavery under Christ. We should not be made, again, the slaves of empty human traditions and philosophies, practices or rituals or ritual observances. As you study Christendom in our time, it's taking us back there. If you don't do what the man or woman of God, the apostle, the bishop, uh, the prophet, the seer, if you don't ABC, you will not be free. And now, beloved, we should not be made again the slaves of empty human traditions, 
and philosophies, practices or ritual observances. We are free because of what Christ did. Superstitious rites or anything that has its origin in the kingdom of darkness. You're merely, merely safe without charcoal. Your children are safe without those beads and roots around their waists and necks. You can breastfeed them on the bus unless you simply want to observe public mannerisms. You can swallow your survivor, your saliva. You're free. Here's my question to you. What's enslaving you? What's enslaving you? We have all these kinds of things that enslave us that we, we're not even able to experience. If the Son of Man sets you free, you are free indeed. We're still living in slavery. Look at the text. He disarmed the rulers. Put them to open shame. Triumphed over them in him on the cross. A Christian is a freed person. His great captain has subdued all his enemies and should therefore not allow them again to set up their dark empire over our souls. This is Paul's whole argument in this passage. A Christian has nothing to fear because a complete victory was achieved by Christ's death, which resulted in everything being in subjection to him. Last question to my friends. Who has set us free? Who has disarmed the devil, the demons, and all evil powers? Who sets us free? Who disarms the devil, the demons, and all his powers? Christ. Christ. Beloved, the cross is a symbol of a glorious victory that Christ has brought about. Celebrate the cross. Celebrate the work that the cross brings about. May God grant that we will rejoice in the cross, a glorious symbol of victory over all powers and authorities. Before we sing our closing hymn, shall we pray together? Father, we are grateful for your word, grateful for Christ. We plead that our Father in heaven, you will cause us to be blessed by your word. May we celebrate the victory of Christ symbolized by the cross. If any is not free, oh, may they look to Christ for salvation. If they are in any form of bondage, please grant freedom. There is a Christian who is supposed to be free, but they're living an enslaved life. 
grant them the experience of this freedom that is symbolized in the cross. Thank you that we can sing and desire for Christ to keep us near the cross. Keep us near that cross. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.